Welcome to Throwaway Lines with Carrie Bostick and Mike Beam. Hi there. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to our show. <laughs> it's uh, it's really exciting because as two literature nerds, um, I just thought it would be great to kind of dig in to The Crucible by Arthur Miller for our first uh, work. But Absolutely. we will be doing all sorts of things. Um, we are not limited to books or poetry or anything like that. Um, basically, the sky is the limit. Um, any TV, movies, even if there's a video game that has throwaway lines or lines that shouldn't be thrown away, but maybe we feel that they deserve a closer look. We want to do that. <laughs> we'll cover it. <laughs> So uh, today we're dealing with The Crucible, which has always been relevant since it was written, but I feel like we've come back around. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it remains relevant today. Or maybe more relevant. Yes. I <laughs> um, so I know you have a close personal connection to this story. Um, when did you discover it and kind of uh, what made it speak to you? Um, I discovered The Crucible back in college, and what really got my gears grinding about this piece of work is the fact that hysteria can be created from some of the simplest means. Um, for instance, in this story, one person comes into the town, points a single f uh, finger, and claims to be the Almighty, and creates a spiral downward into madness. And it was just, it, it grabbed me and it held me and it continues to do so even today. I think the madness was always there. I think that's one of the underlying uh, themes that we'll be getting into. Yeah. But um, certainly, and I've, I've been obsessed with this book since uh, I read it in high school, not for class, but just because. Um, and then there was a local production and I had my heart set on being Mary Warren because she was this figure of pathos and would be interesting to play. Um, just someone without any power in their day-to-day -day life, finally having a little sliver of it, even while you're rendered powerless another way. Yeah. So, but I did not get the part. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> if I ever had a chance to play a role in this play, yes. I would absolutely have to say John. Proctor. Oh God, yes. Um, just the range of emotions that <sighs> he goes through in this play is epic. It's just epic. And the lines. Yeah. Um, he has obviously, as the hero, has some of the best lines. Absolutely. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I will say, I I would today, I would want to be John Proctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, we live in modern times. Yes. That happen. Yes. Um, well, getting into it, um, where would you like to start as far as our throwaway lines? Um, well, I think we both agree that one of the best lines in the play, and probably the most famous line, is when John Proctor says, Because it is my name, because I cannot have another in my life, because I lie and sign myself to lies, because I am not worth the dust on the feet of them that hang, how may I live without my name? I have given you my soul, leave me my name. And I just think that's such a beautiful line because it goes to show that even though we all may be sinners in some definition, we all want to maintain integrity and we all feel like we are good people at heart and we don't want to sully our name. And in John's case, he is not a perfect hero. He makes some bad decisions in the play, specifically the choice to sleep with an underage girl. 
which comes back to bite him. Yep. But he does turn himself in several times, once to his wife, once to the uh, court, and mm -hmm. he tries to make the situation better. Um, and it obviously does not work out for him. But his, his main goal is to just maintain the integrity of his name. Yeah, it kind of actually, now that I've rewatched it, uh, because it's on Disney+, Plus, it does kind of remind me of the Reynolds packet um, from Hamilton, which is uh, Alexander Hamilton basically ruining his entire marriage and family for the sake of putting to bed, uh, oh, pun intended, um, the, uh, <laughs> the fact that he did not steal funds. Um, he used his own money, and it was hush money because he committed adultery. So it was eh, similar. <laughs> and I think every one of us can say, without a doubt, that in our lives we've had a moment where we've had to question, do I choose my own right. integrity, or do I choose someone that I care about? Do I do the easier exactly, thing? Exactly. Because I won't have to suffer as much. Right. Because it hurts. Yeah, <laughs> it hurts to be honest about what you did wrong. Mm -hmm. Especially... In this society, um, today and in the Crucible, because they were Puritans. And pretty much America has stayed pretty puritanical in a lot of the ways that we kind of uh, condemn those that we think have uh, earned the cancellation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I love that. I love that quote. And if you didn't pick it, I was going to pick it. Absolutely. So. <laughs> it's just so pickable. Absolutely. <laughs> And, uh, oh, sorry. I was going to say, so what do you think is another great line from the show? Oh, let's see. Um, this is kind of speaking to the danger of uh, the mass hysteria or the fun of pointing fingers instead of solving problems. And uh, here it is. It's a line by Dan Forth. But you must understand, sir, that a person is either with this court or he must be counted against it. There be no road between. This is a sharp time now, a precise time. We live no longer in the dusky afternoon when evil mixed itself with good and befuddled the world. Such a great line. And we see the, we see kind of the, you're either with us or you're against us. And what we deem evil and what we deem good is the only thing that we will accept. And you will die because of that. Right. And, and it, it just goes to show that the one of the driving forces in this show is the religious court. And they feel that they are all powerful, they are the decision makers, mm -hmm. and as you and I both know, we see that even today in government, um, and still in some religious sects, uh, it still rears its ugly head, let's say, in mm -hmm. our modern world. So it's, it's a scary line, but it's mm -hmm. a very honest line. And power corrupts, and so... It doesn't matter which kind of authority figure we're talking about. Mm -hmm. If you decide to cash in the power that you have in order to exact a gain against one of your neighbors or someone, somebody that crossed you or somebody that crossed you 20 years ago and you suddenly have a means to hold them accountable for that, mm -hmm. uh, that's that's what we're seeing in this show. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's one of those lines that kind of hints at the allegory that points to things like World War II and the rise of the Third mm -hmm. Reich, um, and obviously McCarthyism, yes. which was very um, troublesome and apparent 
in the time that the show was written. Right. Um, I would almost venture to say that it was one of the reasons the show was yes. so hurriedly <laughs> written. Um, and also things like even 9-11, like when that happened, it was a horrible, horrible thing that never should have mm -hmm. happened. But the way that it was handled, we started chasing after faceless terrorists. We started and deeming everyone from a certain religion yeah, terrorists, yes. in fact. And, and anyone from Middle Eastern descent mm -hmm. started to get a bad rap, and it's just not fair, you know? Yep. So that just goes to show again the power of this line in particular, but this show. Absolutely. And I think that we kind of always have a tenuous relationship with blaming people and finding scapegoats. And I think especially then because they were trying to be so very moral that it, I think it caused them to snap. <laughs> yeah, I think they swayed so far yes. towards moral that it made them immoral. Yes, absolutely. And I think that in their search for good and evil in simple terms, uh, they executed a lot of their friends. Yes, and they I think that they found the key that unlocked the door to their mm -hmm. own befuddled world. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and poignant. <laughs> well, absolutely. Um, well, where would we like to jump to next? Um, I'd really like to touch on a line that I found by what I would like to consider the main villain of the mm -hmm. show, and that would be Reverend Hale. Oh, yes. uh, upon his first arrival to the village, um, he is speaking to one of the children who has so, uh, quote-unquote become afflicted by um, the symptoms of witchcraft. And he says to her, does someone affect you, child? It need not be a woman, mind you, or a man. Perhaps some bird invisible to others come to you? Perhaps a pig, a mouse, or any beast at all? Is there some figure bids you fly? And I think that that speaks to another um, really strong um, aspect of the show, which is um, the power of suggestion. Mm. Um, this man comes and he feels that he is a man of God, he's very righteous, and he also feels that he is the one that will get to the bottom of this. And in so doing, he is willing to dig deep into what I believe to be wish wash. You know, like yeah. you're asking a 16 year old girl who believes that she will be in trouble if she admits that what she's doing is not, you know, is a lie. Right. Um, you know, does an invisible bird come to you and tell you to <laughs> have these afflictions? He's like, leading the witness. Exactly. He's leading the witness. <laughs> She jumps right on the bandwagon mm -hmm. and says that this person made me do it and this person made me do it, and that really leads us down the horrific trail. I think, too, uh, once the interesting thing about how this story progresses is that people will only accept what you say if you're accusing another person. If you admit that you did this thing that you're being accused of and you accuse someone else, then you're free to go. You're going to be fine. You might be in jail for a little while, but you're going to be fine. And it's kind of odd because they only accept you changing what you're saying in one direction. They're only interested in finding more witches. Um, Absolutely. They're not interested in, well, I said that so that I could get out of the room with you guys. And then worse things happened. So now I'm, I'm, I'm saying that. And I think uh, going back to the 
theme of hysteria and suggestion. Um, you kind of see things like that um, with mesmerism when people, yes. uh, that whole like pseudo psychology practice of uh, the deep hypnosis in order to bring up childhood traumas that might be affecting them uh, today. Mm-hmm. And then what it turned out was that was highly, highly suggestive. Right. A lot of stuff that was dredged up never happened, but they felt like it did because they were being suggested uh, to do, to explore that, to to imagine it happening. And you can imagine it to yourself in such a way that you're not really sure what actually transpired. Well, to go back to your comment about they just wanted to find more witches, I yeah. think in that in itself is a throwaway mm-hmm. line because yes. while you were talking, I was desperately looking through my copy <laughs> of, the, of the play mm-hmm. and uh, I found a line that I had not written down because I had already written down so many, Yes. but um, I think this is a great line towards that mm-hmm. point. Uh, I believe it is Danforth says in Act 3, one calls up witnesses to prove his innocence, but witchcraft is ipso facto, on its face and by its nature, an invisible crime, is it not? Therefore, who may possibly be witness to it? The witch and the victim? None other. So really, they're, they're, they're digging deep into what they, first of all, don't understand. Right. And they're also pulling at strings that are really extremely tenuous. Absolutely. And I think that's another really beautiful aspect of this play that uh, Miller balances so succinctly is that he he graves you in this very real world but Mm -hmm. fills it with these impossible things that really can't be yeah and and the whole story is built around that so i just think that's another fascinating aspect absolutely and i think uh i think too when it comes down to it it doesn't really matter what the setting of this play is the characters are all people that we've grown up with. Right. <laughs> if you lived in a small town or if you lived in a neighborhood in a city, uh, you've got people that are the do-goody, you know, they think they're holier than thou, but are actually shady as hell. Right, right. <laughs> you've got your Reverend Hales, yep. you've got your Mary Warrens. You've got people that are trying to do the best they can, but no matter what, they get picked on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. um, you've got people who are immigrants or slaves like Tituba, who are basically even the scapegoat's scapegoat in the society because they're new to this country, they're foreign, they don't look the same as their neighbors, and therefore everyone is already afraid of them and ready to throw them under the bus. And the whole situation with the girls where she was theoretically, I would say, uh, teaching them dances from her home country teaching them culture from her home country. And then that is the uh, thing that undoes this whole society, is the fear that that could mean dancing is the devil. It's very footloose in another way. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Dancing lets in the devil, and then now our whole society is undone. And and it's, it's ironic and funny how Miller makes Titiba the the initial accused you know yeah. she, she is the one person in the village that probably has the least amount of power absolutely and it's very easy to point a finger at her and say you're the one that's bringing in the devil and eventually the the accusations lead towards mm-hmm. you know a woman who is considered 
you know she's unmarried, she smokes a pipe, it's very easy to point a finger at her because she doesn't fit in, like you were saying, yeah fear of of someone being different mm-hmm. and also a man who you know doesn't work as hard as the others and spends right. a lot of his time in his cups. yep, um, <laughs> it's very easy to point a finger at him. but once these girls start gaining power right. and faith from the other uh, villagers, right. then they start to finger these more important people, the people who are higher up in the village. Would you like to rephrase that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're fingering the higher up people. <laughs> well, choice of words, I'll admit. I thought it was an excellent choice of words. I just don't think it was what you meant. Hopefully yeah. our viewers get the joke. <laughs> I think, uh, I know, I totally understand where you're going with that. And I think uh, absolutely, because for the first time in their lives, so many of these put-upon people are finally able to kind of get what they feel they've been entitled to. You, you can be your own person. You could be a little bit more independent. You can take down someone who used to beat you mm-hmm. or was mean to you at any point. And even just the fact that there also was a lot of, uh, hey, you should probably uh, say that this person's a witch. This person's a witch. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, this person's a witch. Does that mean I still get attention mm-hmm. in a positive way? Because this is the most attention, the most positive attention I think many of these girls ever had right. that wasn't probably unwanted because they were ladies. <laughs> right, right. And, and let's not forget in puritanical America, mm-hmm. Women were second class. You oh, know, they were yeah. very much less important than the men. Mm-hmm. And for these girls of 16 years old to get so much power so quickly, I'm sure it went straight to their head. Well, absolutely. And I think that's a good place to stop for this first section. Um, if you hold with us for a few seconds, uh, we'll talk to you again. Bye. Hey, and we're back. Hi, all. <laughs> So um, we wanted to start back up with probably one of the most beloved characters in this otherwise very dramatic uh, play because he is the village crank. There's a lot to unravel with him. And he's one of those guys that you're like, well, he's kind of an asshole, but an amusing one. Like he, he, I mean, the Puritans weren't really getting up to a whole lot of stuff other than bickering with each other, but he bickered really interestingly. And really well. So, well, yeah, I think it was a Giles Corey. I think he really just, it's not so much that he was the best one at arguing. I think it's just, he would not stop talking (laughs) and would not stop bringing people to court. And so eventually they had to throw up their hands in the air and give in. (laughs) Yeah, he's one of those people that you would love to spend an hour or two at the bar with, but only an hour or two, and then you go home. And then he might say something like a slur or like start a fight with somebody, and then it's like, all right, Giles, okay, we're cutting you off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is actually a line that is uh, very tragic. It is not actually said by Giles. But um, it is about his eventual fate because, of course, um, him making a lot of enemies in town did kind of make him suspect and uh, brought him into this whole mess of uh, finding witches. And because he's a stubborn son of a bitch, (laughs) he would not admit to being a witch. He would not turn in other people. Um, So this is what Elizabeth Proctor has to say to her husband, John. 
um, about Giles Corey's fate. Great stones they lay upon his chest until he pled I or nay. They say he give them but two words. More weight, he says, and died. Just pretty heavy. Yeah, wow. Just he, hearing it again after reading it four times, <laughs> still, it gets you, you know? It's, it's, he was an unexpected hero. Um, yeah, I think it, it says a lot to the strength of the human spirit and Giles' need to also maintain the integrity of his name. He mm-hmm. refused, first of all, to allow the court to hang his wife, right. who he knew wasn't a witch, right? Um, but also uh, to give in to the court, which mm-hmm. we both know John eventually does towards the end of the play. He starts to give in to right. the court um, by saying that he had been with the devil and that he was a witch, but Giles, being the old cantankerous mm-hmm. bastard that he is, even on his death rack, let's say, yeah, with the rocks, <laughs> to give in, you know? He's just like, put more rocks on! And right. I just think it's amazing. Especially for for a man that pretty much never shut up during his life, for his last act to be silence and stoicism um, in the face of all this stupidity from society is really impactful. And I think that's um, I think that's interesting too. And I, this is a this is a play written by a man, so you do not see the women uh, so much being executed. Though I believe in historical fact, it was mostly women that were executed. And two dogs. And two dogs. Poor puppies. Yeah. Rest in peace, puppies. But um, yeah. So that's an interesting choice, and I think it's it might be something of a uh, write what you know, and Arthur Miller being a man would know how a man would probably feel about this, um, especially in the Mark McCarthyism era, mm-hmm. um, when blacklisting is just another part of the day if you're a creative. And uh, absolutely, I see you flipping yeah, <laughs> rapidly. I, 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 as, as usual, when I do these kinds of mm-hmm. things, I always want to go to the source. Absolutely. And I'm sure I don't have the time to find it, but in the introduction, mm-hmm. uh, which is beautifully written, by the way, um, it is mentioned that Arthur Miller was actually brought in front of the mm-hmm. House on American Activities. Yes. Um, and he was questioned and asked mm-hmm. to finger, if you will. <laughs> or <some> give names. <laughs> <laughs> or name names. <laughs> some other people that were <laughs> communists. And he himself, not so much taking a line from his own work, mm-hmm. basically said the same thing that John yeah. Proctor does. He said, you know, I'm not going to you know give up my integrity i'm not going to say other people's names to save Mm -hmm. my own how may i live without my name yeah it's i and i i think that's written in like you see that that's very much in the passion of this man uh the character john proctor and in the passion of the playwright arthur miller um i think that comes through very strongly Mm -hmm. um and what you were saying, that the actual House of Un-American Activities uh, Committee really reminds me of this line, also by John Proctor, um, which basically is saying, nothing has changed. It's just that this insanity has brought out the worst parts of our society. And now anyone who has a care to can suddenly kill you 
or take your property um, or take your good name. And it's not like these were rich folks at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Even the richest among them were still pretty poor by kind of modern standards. Um, But people would scrap for that last little bit of goodness. And uh, so his quote that I'd like to uh, go to now, we are what we always were in Salem, but now the crazy little children are jangling the keys of the kingdom and common vengeance writes the law And it's just, you can do what you want to do. You can defame who you want to do. Um, Anything that you think you can take from one of your neighbors, it's possible. All you have to do is call them a witch. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate that this was a piece of American history. It never really, really went away. I think uh, we see a lot of that, I think, uh, with kind of uh, just... Not, I will say the cancel culture is the least part of any of this. We're talking about actual power. Yeah. We're talking about actually taking away um, someone's standing in society. Not and, and, and to that note, yes. not to interrupt you, um, but to, to that note, I think it's really important to um, make known that after Arthur Miller was brought in front of the House of American Un- Unactivities, I think I'm saying it wrong. Yeah, you're saying <laughs> the reverse. I'm mixing House of Un-American Activities there Committee. Thank you very much. Um, but after he was brought before mm-hmm. them, uh, his plays kind of not so much died in popularity, but stopped showing yeah. in major venues. And that was because, as you know, we say in this world, shit rolls downhill, right. um, he started to get a bad rap for that. Um, it's very unfortunate because some of his plays are some of the most poignant and well-written that we have ever had, you know, access to in America. So yeah, it's just it's just another proof of fact that this happens every day. And you see, kind of with that, um, his plays kind of not being used as widely. It's because by defaming his name, no one wanted to go the hard route and try to defend him. They didn't want to have to start with a black mark against a show. It's hard enough to put on theater normally. <laughs> or the name on the playbill, for right. that matter. Yeah. Right, but it's it's hard enough to, to put on a show when you're not trying to go up against a, a morality issue or something uh, where somebody is pointing the finger and saying, this person is un-American. This person has ties that are not in our society's best interest. Um, but it's when it comes down to it, he wasn't American. He didn't want to. He didn't want to accuse people just to get everyone off his back. Right. He did not want to lose his good name. Yes. He, in essence, was John Proctor. Yes. And I just like to kind of um, bring our attention to a line that I had picked out of the play that I think really is extremely beautiful. It's one of the more beautiful lines in the play, um, and it's spoken by John Proctor. Uh, He says, man, remember, until an hour before the devil fell, God thought him beautiful in heaven. And it just goes to show that, you know, it's so easy for someone to lose their integrity, whether they did something wrong or did something right that just went against the masses or went against the people in power. Um, You know, you, you do one thing and it just sullies your name. Right. It's sad, but true. 
And uh, as someone who did her undergraduate thesis on uh, <laughs> comparing Satan and Paradise Lost to Michael Corleone in the Godfather movies, I really appreciated that you put that line in this. <laughs> Can I just stop and say for a moment that that is amazing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> now many people put together, you know, the Godfather movies and like, you know, a 17th century po- epic poem. It's not, it's not a, not a I'm unusual. It's weird. <laughs> but I own it. <laughs> absolutely. They would probably would absolutely would have accused me of being a witch back in the day. Oh, sure. Are you kidding me? And you would have owned it. And I think, <laughs> and perhaps you as well. And I think we would have been fine. Like we would have owned it. That's, yes. you gotta, you gotta, and this is the thing. There's that wonderful uh, saying going around, especially on Twitter, which is, if you weren't someone that someone's church would accuse of being a witch, are you even living your best life? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag best life. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you'd like to touch on before we uh, wrap up? Um, I honestly think that we've hit all the bases and then some, because I did finger through my copy of the play a couple times while we were talking. Well, so. I watched you finger it. It was glorious. <laughs> but I would like to uh, thank everybody who is listening. I, um, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to Little Old Us. So thank you very much for that. Absolutely. And if you have any insights on anything that you would like us to talk about, um, we'll be including in the episode description a way to contact us. And also, you can also let us know if you'd prefer us to kind of focus on fewer quotes or wider generalizations, or if there's anything that really is a favorite line of yours from a medium and you don't think it gets enough attention. And we will definitely do the research, (laughs) trust me. Yes, we do love doing that. So thank you so much for joining us for this first episode of Throwaway Lines. Bye. Bye. If you have a favorite book, movie, TV show, play, or any other cool medium that you'd like us to explore, uh, you can send us an email to throwawaylines079 at gmail.com. That's throwawaylines079 at gmail.com. Thanks for reaching out. Watch me.